Hello, and welcome back to the Performance Cycling Podcast. I'm Todd Norwood, here with my co-host Jason Hammond. Hey Todd, how's it going? Going well. As, as always, a good day for a bike ride. Sure. Um, so today we're going to talk about the fact that you need to eat more carbo- carbohydrates. So I'm, I'm actually going to title this, You Need to Eat More Carbohydrates. And hopefully by the end of this, I can prove to you that you're probably not eating enough carbs to supplement your rides and supplement your workouts Unless you, you know, say you only ride your bike once a week, maybe you probably, you probably get enough, but if you're doing any sort of serious training, you probably aren't eating quite as much as you could. And if you ate more, it might improve the quality of your workouts. Uh, so first let's, uh, let's talk about the fact that in our first episode, Todd, we talked about this. I remember you, you posed the question to me, you know, how do I fuel during my races? And we're going to, I think, touch on some of the similar topics. And mm-hmm. I just want to say it's almost been a year since then, a uh, year of podcasting. So if you want to go listen to our first episode, which uh, I think Todd has admitted is not nearly as good as our more recent episodes. No, I think we, I think we've learned a lot in the past about year of doing this. So yeah. So if you want to see what a year of talking into a microphone looks like, uh, feel free to go back to our first episode. Um, but anyway, so let's get started. First, we're going to talk about carbohydrate basics. So, Todd, the three atoms that make up carbs. Carbon, hydrogen, and oxygen. Because if, well, if I knew more about, you know, chemicals and, you know, if I was a chemist, it's carbohydrate. The hydrate indicates, you know, HO or something. Fair enough. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but you know, that, carbo but yeah, is car- yeah, carbon, carbon and then the hydrates is um, yeah, hydrogen. Yeah. But so the chemical is, it can be represented as carbon and then H2O and all carbohydrates are some combination of carbon molecules and water. And so that's just something that that's how you classify something as a carbohydrate. And then you, know, you can have simpler carbs, which are smaller molecules. You can have more complex carbs, which are bigger molecules and then some will have um, functional groups that are not carbon oxygen or hydrogen and and then you get into these super long words you know polysaccharide and you know it starts to of course there are a lot of things that fit the formula of a carbohydrate now you're putting me down a painful road of organic chemistry i never took quite some time ago but yes all, all you said is true at least to my recollection so um I think for us or for cyclists, we really just want to focus on this idea of simple versus complex carbs. And I think this is, I'm, you know, I'm not the first person to come up with this concept, of course, but we should, we can just go over it really quickly. So simple carbs are quick absorbing. So these are smaller molecules. The thing about smaller molecules, if, you know, as an engineer, I'm excited to share this, that, you know, powders, the reason that they absorb quicker is because there's more surface area to volume ratio. And if you think about that in terms of the simple carbohydrates, the smaller molecules get absorbed more quickly because there's less volume and more uh, surface area for them to be dissolved mm-hmm. and used. So uh, something like white and brown sugar, fruit juice, baked goods, cookies, and even cereal can all be considered simple carbs. And they're good during exercise because you need those. You need those carbs to fuel your ride. Uh, but outside of of your workouts, they actually cause a large increase in insulin. And I I was trying to look this up because you had this question in a previous episode. Do do we have to be concerned about 
insulin spikes during exercise caused by these simple carbohydrates that we're ingesting. And I couldn't find any studies. I, I looked for like a solid hour. I couldn't find any studies about whether or not there were insulin spikes with simple carbohydrates. So I've read a little bit about this, I guess in between. And what I came to understand was basically if you're healthy and you're doing exercise, your body will manage it. Right, like you're not going to spike. It's going to be it's going to be managed appropriately to help fuel you to move forward. Um, but I don't have any exact study that I can cite. I sort of did some some reading to see if there is an answer. And that's the synopsis of it, more or less. Is it's probably unlikely if everything's working the way it's supposed to. Yeah, I would say even um, less scientifically, there's there's somewhere for the sugar to go when right. you're working out. So. You're not the the main point of the insulin is to signal to your body to either store it or use it or get rid of it in some way. And if you're working out, your body already knows what to do with it. So mm-hmm. you don't need that insulin signaling. So you shouldn't be concerned about an insulin overdose uh, while you're riding. But there is a good reason to avoid it afterwards, or maybe not. You know, directly before has been shown to improve working out. But simple carbs way before or way after will cause insulin production, which increases your storage Mm -hmm. of uh, fat and carbohydrates, which that can be good for recovery. But when you have too much, then you get increased body weight and you also get other types of dysfunction within your body. So um, that's simple carbs. Complex carbs are, for example, whole fruit, like uh, an apple with the skin which has um, some fiber to slow mm-hmm. down the absorption rate. You, can, you have beans, which have the shell, which is quite fibrous. Um, you have rice, especially rice that's been sitting out. And actually, Todd, you were the one who pointed out to me um, resistant starch mm-hmm. is the idea like white rice is actually a good idea. If, if you, you let, let it sit a little bit after it's been cooked and then rewarm it because some, some magical chemistry happens. So the... The idea is as soon as you cook white rice, it's a simple carb if you take it out of the pot as soon as it's done cooking. But if you let it sit and cool down, it it the the carbs change molecular shape and they it starts to act more like a complex carb. So I I think that this is why um it's it's Alan Lim who wrote the um Oh Feed Zone Portables. Yeah, or the Feed Zone Cookbook. Yep. And he um, he said, culturally, I always use white rice. I think he's Japanese, but he's not wrong, maybe by mistake, maybe on purpose, that he would make a large portion of rice, like three or four cups dry, and store it in the fridge. And when you reheat it, it becomes even more of a resistant starch. And so it gets those complex carb characteristics. And so I, I would encourage you, if you like rice, and that's a good option for you, I would encourage you to eat more rice, especially if you let it cool down, because it can act as a complex carb. That's, that just may be one of those things that it's been working for a long time historically, right? And we didn't know why it works. And now science has shown us why this is a good strategy. Yeah. And I actually eat a lot of rice because it is, it's more palatable for me than other options like beans or sometimes, you know, apples can actually be difficult to eat, especially when you have to eat, you know, a lot of calories. So other options are whole wheat bread, oatmeal, and then al dente pasta. So if you cook pasta to the lower number on the recommended number for the instructions, like it'll usually say like nine to 11 minutes. If you cook it at the nine minute, it'll act more like a complex carb when you eat it. And so these complex carbs have less insulin, or they'll cause less, less response, less insulin response. 
And they're actually also better for conversion to glycogen. So when you convert uh, glucose or other carbs to glycogen, you need to have just slightly elevated blood sugar, basically. Because if, if you have too high blood sugar, you get a big insulin response and you dump the carbs, whether you store them as fat, you, you know, increase your body heat, you, you know, run around in circles because, you know, you have too much the, energy. The hyperactive kid response. Yeah. So if, if your blood sugar is too high, you, you know, you just burn it away. But if it's slightly elevated, it's in this perfect position for your body to start to store those carbohydrates in the form of glycogen. And that's really the big idea is we want glycogen and we want full glycogen stores going into our workouts because that's the major fuel source for anything over zone one and maybe even zone two, depending on how fat adapted mm -hmm. you are. So the last thing I want to say about simple versus complex carbs is that it's not, this is simple, this is complex. It's a continuum. And the glycemic index, if you've heard of that index before, is, is, tr is trying to quantify how simple something is. Yeah, it's, it's even a little more complex than that, right? Because it's trying to understand what it does to your blood sugar, right? And so some, like an apple is a great example, right? If you just had apple juice, that's, uh, that's going to go and that's going to cause a spike in your blood sugar. It's readily available. Whereas if you have that whole apple, it has that fiber in it. So there's still sugar, but it has the fiber. So it's still like still simple sugar in that apple, right? Fructose, but it has the fiber and it actually slows down the digestion and then the spike doesn't happen, right? Or that, that big spike doesn't occur. So that's relatively speaking, a lower glycemic index food than straight apple juice or you know, straight sugar, right? Right. So it's a it's a zero to a hundred scale, or maybe one to a hundred. Uh, yeah, one, I think one to a hundred. And so one hundred is like white sugar. Yep. And um, I think that moderate, like I think a banana is normally considered like a mo moderate glycemic index food, and that's you know fifty or sixty. And then you'll you have stuff like broccoli is nineteen, mm -hmm. so that's like super low. Super fibrous, not a whole lot of carbs in there. Yeah, and, and that brings up the last point we want to make about the simple versus complex, which is we're now learning more and more. Dietitians and you know diet researchers are doing more uh, combined food studies. So as opposed to just giving someone white sugar and seeing how their blood sugar rises, they're giving them a meal. And so they're giving them some broccoli, some white rice, and a little bit of chicken. And they're saying, how does your blood sugar respond to that? How do these other factors respond to that? And what we know so far is that fat, protein, and dietary fiber all slow down the emptying of the stomach mm -hmm. and will make simple carbs seem more complex. So, you know, if you want to drink the, the lemonade iced tea that has a lot of sugar in it, if you eat some broccoli with it, you might be able to slow down the absorption mm -hmm. some and it'll be a little bit less harmful. So that's the importance of, you know, fat, protein, dietary fiber. A lot of cyclists avoid fat. A lot of cyclists avoid protein because they don't want a lot of muscle mass. They want to stay light. But actually, those things can really help your body use the carbohydrates effectively. Mm -hmm. And you, you need those too, right? I mean, your nervous system is needing fat. Your muscles need that protein to recover. So you shouldn't avoid it, right? It's just how you balance it out and what portion of your diet is coming from each of those macronutrients. Yeah, I would say um, this is actually a podcast on the fact that you should eat more carbs. So let's not lean into the fat and protein too much, but yes, they are important. I think you should have some fat source and some protein source yeah, at each of your meals. Um, so let's talk about, oh, actually I had, I had one more study that um, this was from a period where I didn't 
save studies that I wasn't directly using, which it's, it's an unfortunate part of my life back in college when I didn't save every study I came across. But I remember reading that people who had full fat dairy were uh, generally more lean than people who use skim or low fat dairy. And the speculation was that if you say ate cereal, if you had full fat dairy, you would absorb the cereal slower and it would act more like a complex carb because of the higher fat content than something like skim milk, which is you know mostly sugar, no fat, and you get uh, a lot higher absorption rate and you get a bigger insulin rush. And mm-hmm. that's, that's one study that's an example of the introduction of fat into a, a carbohydrate meal that slowed down the response. Yeah, I, mean, I think there's a lot of suggestion around like oh well it's it's low carbs but then it has fat and what does that do and how is that different but that's a whole another topic uh but yes i generally agree mixing the nutrients probably is the best outcome yep and um let's look at the so the next thing we're going to move to is the three energy systems so we've definitely talked about this before creatine phosphate that's your sprinting energy system that's like 15 seconds all out explosive effort you have your anaerobic system that's up to eight minutes is what I said. Are you going to dispute me on the eight minute mark? Seems like the, the upper, upper bound, but sure, we'll take it. Yeah. Okay. So I guess us mortals, it's closer to five minutes, yeah. right? But the pros can extend it out to like eight. And then the aerobic, which is eight plus. So um, in these three energy systems, the creatine phosphate, the sprinting energy system, and the anaerobic energy system only use carbs. Mm. And the aerobic system, you know, you can use all three, but there is a large aerobic or carbohydrate contribution to the aerobic system. Well, it's, yeah, depending on where you are on the scale, it's primarily carbs, right? If you, as you, towards the top of it, certainly. And then towards the bottom, it's maybe more fat. Yeah. So we talked about in the endurance, like weight loss during base training episode that, when you're at about 200 watts, you're looking at about 60 grams of carbs in just your endurance pace. And I, I don't remember what the total uh, energy output, like, of course, don't do math on a podcast, right? But um, Oh, to, to like 200 watts per hour and what that energy output yeah. is. Yeah, and, and then what portion of that is carbohydrates? Isn't so like on the order of 650 kilojoules an hour? Yeah, and then it's like 240, 60 times 4, 240, so... Yep. It's, you know, it's 500 or 400 grams of 400 calories worth of fat, but still um, 240 uh, calories worth of carbs. So even at, you know, this endurance pace, a a third of your calories are coming from carbs. Mm -hmm. So it's really hard to avoid carbohydrate utilization. And I think that, you know, we're back to the original idea, which is if you had more carbs in your system and you ate more carbs, then you can do more work. Uh, you know, using the this energy that you stored, and then that more work can increase your ability to produce power on the bike and get a good workout and get the mm-hmm. training stimulus you need in order to, you know, develop into the rider that you want to be. So let's do a little bit of math. Um, say you have a threshold of 300 watts. That's a pretty generic number. And at sweet spot, which is 90% of FTP, you would be using 81 grams of carbs for 20 minutes. And at threshold, you would be using 90 grams of carbs for 20 minutes. And then say at VO2 max, which is say 350 watts for that same rider, you would be using 53 grams of carbs for a five-minute effort. 
Really? Well, I I mean, I looked up the math. I wrote a script. I ran through the numbers. That seems generous because that's like 400 and some odd kilojoules at 350 watts. That that seems very generous to me because hmm. that would imply like a I think you're off by a factor. Oh, we said that, no that, math on that's the podcast. My, that's my in, my intuition. Okay, well, all my future math is now messed up based on that uh, that inaccurate assumption. But uh, okay, so let's play along a little bit. So you know, say that's closer to forty or thirty grams of carbs for that five minute effort. So if you're doing a five by five minutes at VO2 max, or, you know, say 25 to 30 minutes of total time at VO2 mm-hmm. max, however you want to split that up. You do a 30 minute warm up. Mm-hmm. you do a 30 minute cool down. You're looking at 300 grams of carbs mm-hmm. just from the VO2 max in the warm up. And then if you do a rest period in between each interval at say endurance pace, that's another 60 grams of carbs. Mm-hmm. So you're looking at you know, 350 to 400 grams of carbs for your VO2 max intervals. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, a two hour interval set. Yep. And you've used basically all of your glycogen stores. I think at the end of the day, the math works out, right? You'd say that's like 15, 1600 kilojoules burnt for the workout. So that, that works out. So, so I'll, we'll, I'll give you that. Okay. So the idea here is trying to see that as riders, we can store in our bodies 400 to 500 grams of carbohydrates and seeing how much work you have to do in order to see that disappear. So another example would be three by 20 minutes at threshold and then a little bit of a recovery period and a little bit of a warm up. you're mm. out of carbs. So, you know, one hour of threshold is all the carbs that you have. Mm-hmm. You know, an hour of sweet spot is, you know, 90% of all the carbs that you have in your body. So understanding that if we don't eat during our rides and we don't fuel properly before our rides, we don't, we can't finish, you know, an hour at threshold, whatever Mm -hmm. our workout demands. So making sure that you eat enough is, is a big point if you're trying to do these big workouts in order to get the training stimulus. And I think that's also key because the thing I think we've mentioned before is your intake of calories is limited while you're riding, right? Just gastric emptying and processing it. And maybe you get 60 grams of carbs in, maybe you get a touch more than that, but there's no way you can replace those big numbers while you're also putting out those big efforts. Right. So Let's do some more math. Hopefully this math uh, won't be critiqued quite as quite as hard as the last one. But um, for this one, say you come home from your workout empty. You just did your VO2 max intervals, and tomorrow you have threshold intervals. And you come home, assume zero, glam, zero grams of stored glycogen, and normally you'd have to eat about 700 grams of carbs in order to get the 450 to 500 grams that you want stored. And the reason for that is because the 200 to 250 is used for, you know, existing and being able to communicate with, you know, reality. Other humans. Yeah. And also you lose some just from digesting, right? Like that takes energy. Right. And also when you're recovering from an intense effort, you, you're you using carbohydrates just sitting around. Mm-hmm. And I, I remember when I come home from really endurance, really long endurance rides, I can't even like look at my phone or respond to texts or when you have no glycogen stores, you know, it's really hard to function at all. So you need to eat over your desired, you know, glycogen levels because you're going to be using some of that for other activities. Mm -hmm. So say we have 700 grams of carbs to eat, 
by our next workout. So say we have, what, 22 hours to eat that. And that's the equivalent of 5.3 cups of uncooked rice. So I, I, I want you to understand how much rice that is or, or how much you know complex carbs that is. And to think that you have to come home and eat, you know, that's the equivalent of like 15 cups of cooked rice. That's like a crock pot full of cooked rice. That you have to eat in 22 hours, but also you have to sleep for eight of those hours. At least. So how do we do that? And how do the pros do that? Well, the first thing that we should know is that if you're eating carbs during your ride, like say you have a two hour ride, we recommend 60 to 90 grams of carbs depending on the intensity. So if you have say 150 grams of carbs during your two hour ride, that would be 75 grams per hour. You now only have to eat 550 grams of carbs before the next ride. So that's a little more manageable. So we're down to what, four cups of uncooked rice now? Right, so four cups instead of five. And then another way that we can reduce the number is we can take a recovery drink. And the recommendation normally for recovery drinks is your body weight in grams, you know, directly after mm-hmm. within 30 minutes. English or metric? Metric. Correct. Okay. So, so, so. Kilos to grams. One gram per kilogram body weight of carbohydrates plus one third gram per kilogram protein. Mm-hmm. So that's for a, a 75, 75 kilogram rider, that would be 75 grams of carbs, 25 grams of protein. That's like a very standard recovery drink. Mm-hmm. And if we have that, we can say that now we're down to like 450 grams of carbs before our next ride. And oh, the other thing I want to mention about the recovery drink is these simple carbs that you have right after your ride will, um, you have a increased glycogen synthesis rate of mm-hmm. about three times. So even though it's simple carbs, your body is in a situation where it wants to make glycogen really quickly and it'll actually use those simple carbs and it'll use all of them and turn all of them into glycogen. Mm -hmm. So it's not wasted like if we had the, you know, apple juice an hour later. That would go in the wasted section. So you you want your trivia question here? Okay. So there's actually a receptor called GLUT4 that's more prominent on muscle tissue immediately following a workout. And that's the mechanism by which you get those carbohydrates converted into glycogen shortly after that short window and it's only that it's not a persistent um protein there it's very transient so that's why you have that short-term effect after that workout yeah and actually while we're on this topic you don't have to have a recovery drink so you should have protein directly afterwards your body responds really well to that but the only advantage of having these simple carbs directly after your ride is taking advantage of this increased glycogen synthesis. So you can make enough glycogen before your next ride without this sugar, but you'll have to eat complex carbs in order to get that glycogen. So what we're doing is we're saying, I'm gonna chug this sugar drink and it's gonna put me in the right direction to having enough glycogen on the next day and it's gonna reduce the total amount of carbs I have to eat later. Or I'm gonna eat this pastry sometimes. Yeah, or cookies, or yeah. should I get my... Uh, your list of th- sweet things that you said not to eat earlier. Except during or, or immediately after. after. Yeah, so all of these cookies, all these bakery items and um, sugar drinks, and even, you know, Coca-Cola is honestly fine directly after a ride. So we're down to 450 grams or about 3.5 cups of uncooked rice that you have to eat within the next 22 hours. Unless you're eight sleeping hours. 
Right. So 14 hours. So USA Cycling, the coach's manual, which we've referenced before, says that you should aim for half a gram per kilogram body weight per hour. Okay. So, so that, it's that, like, that it's means basically um, like constantly eating one tenth of that. Right. So what I would recommend is if you're 75 kilos, do 75 grams of carbs every two hours. You know, if you're 70 kilos, do 70 grams of carbs every two hours. That's a lot easier to do than half a gram per hour because you have to eat half as often. But you still should be, you know, you still should be good if you can do 70 grams of carbs every two hours. If you do it every hour, you have to clean twice as many dishes too. Or, uh, you know, use the same dish. Well, that, yes, that's the bachelor solution. Yeah, well. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the other thing that I should mention is that you do need to hydrate. So, you know, we mentioned that the carbohydrate is, you know, C something, H2O something. All carbohydrates follow that uh, formula. So you actually generally need three grams of water for every gram of carbohydrates that you're trying to store. And it just has to do with the way glycogen is formed. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't know if there's any research on this, but I wonder what would happen if someone's like severely dehydrated and they're still eating the sugar, if, the, if it would turn into glycogen or if you know the body just doesn't have the capacity to absorb it. Well, so I think it partly also has to do with how a carbohydrate gets into a solution and is absorbed in the body. That's part of the water process there. So I think you would have a problem digesting it even. Like, I think would, I think you just get a stomach ache. Yeah, I think you'd end up with a stomach ache. Huh. So I mean, hopefully you have access to water, you know, during your ride and after your ride. Make sure that's topped off. You don't have to be doing anything clear, you know, no clear urine, but you know, it should be slightly yellow. And then, um, do you have something? No, no. Uh, oh, um, the, the last thing I want to talk about is additional carbohydrate loads that could affect your, your number. So it seems like 450 grams is a good number. If you're eating during your ride, if you're having your recovery drink, figure out how to get another 450 in throughout your day. But you may need more. And the reason for that is my example is a chess player would burn 300 to 400 calories an hour during competition. So they're sitting there visualizing, you know, the moves, the potential moves, the, their opponent's potential moves, and they're just sitting there. Some, it's actually really interesting. Some have really high heart rates. Mm -hmm. I mean, really high for sitting there of like 120 beats. They, they've like recorded their heart rate at like 120 while they're just sitting there visualizing. Chess players are in surprisingly good physical condition for a, a game that you think you just sit there and do something. Like they, they do some serious physical conditioning. Yeah, and I, I believe a lot of the top players will do like four-hour either walks or runs. They'll, they do events that are like four to six hours just mm -hmm. like their... They do physical events yeah, that are yeah, very yeah. similar to the time controls of their, their competitions. But the, the point is... Our brain uses a lot of carbs. I, I want to say pound for pound, it uses the most carbs. I think it's a quarter of all carbs. Is, it, it's a non. Brain. It's significant. It's absolutely. It's a huge amount relative to the certainly, especially relative to the size of the brain compared to like your glutes and your quads. Right. So I, I looked up. You know, what is the base amount that our brain needs? And the number that everyone gave was 130 grams of carbs per day that our brain needs to operate. 
And if you're doing something other than just sitting there and watching, you know, Friends reruns, you probably need closer to 200 to 250 grams. And especially if you have a job that's, you know, really taxing to your brain, thinking, you know, engineer, uh, computer scientist is the classic, uh, you know, oh, I have to think a lot. If you're a theoretical physicist. Student. Yeah, students as well. And, um, you know, any job that's more than, you know, some menial task is probably in this category of high computational load. So considering if, if you're doing a lot of mental work throughout the day, your glycogen levels are going to decrease. And so you have to eat even more over top of that 450 grams in order to make sure that your glycogen stores are topped off because you're using more than this base amount. Yeah, I think that's an often forgotten, like, oh, I'm just going to recover. I'm just going to chill and sit down and do my math homework or like go, taxes go, or something. Yeah, go, yeah, do my taxes, go to work and do my engineering that's really mentally straining. Mm, yeah, you are, but you're also going to be burning quite a bit of carbs while you do that. Like your legs may be resting, but you're still drawing carbs. Yeah, and remembering to eat, you know, in proportion to that work as well. And um, this is actually, I think, interesting back to the simple versus complex carbs. The classic uh, kind of trope of overweight computer scientist is actually because generally they'll supplement with like soda as opposed to, you know, beans and rice Mm -hmm. for their mental energy. And that simple carbohydrates, you know, manifests in in a lot of fat storage. And Mm -hmm. that's why you get a lot of um, people in these mentally taxing occupations having weight problems. That's a super interesting sort of correlation or um, conclusion there. Yeah. Okay. I, yeah, I guess I don't have a white paper for it, but it, it's, it's yeah, no, you know, based I mean, on, on behavioral observations. Yeah, certainly. I mean, it makes sense. It fits. Yeah. And then uh, the last thing that I have is you have to figure out a diet that works for you. So if you set a goal of 450 grams of carbs, you know, not including what you ate on the ride and not including your recovery drink, you got to figure out how to get that down. So if you think you can do it with all beans, do it with all beans. If you think you want to eat rice, if you think you want to do pasta, if you think you want to do a combination of those, you have to figure out what works for you because there's a lot of things that influence your ability to hit that carbohydrate goal. So do you have stomach problems from some foods? Do you get bloating from other foods? How much broccoli can you eat before you know, you're way too gassy? These things are actually really important to think about. I watched a video on uh, bodybuilders, the uh, like 300 pounds of muscle mass, and they're eating 12,000 calories in a day. And the guy is describing how he picks his foods based on what causes the least amount of bloating. That's like his main concern is how do I get 12,000 calories down and not bloat? And so you have to figure out what works for you. Some some people you know have food options that completely opposite to someone else and it's all individual and you should be okay with that yeah i mean you got at the end of the day you gotta know what's gonna work for you it's i mean the same thing you look at cars right some cars need you know 87 octane some cars need 91 you know and some some engines run well on 87 that's great then you put 91 in it doesn't matter some some will not run 87 at all so i think you gotta think about your your engines sort of the same way and figure out what octane what fuel is going to work best for you and this is also why a lot of old pros have these, you know, traditions or, you know, they always do the thing the same way. And it's like, because I know that white rice is the best option for me. I've tried pasta. I've tried potatoes. I've tried whatever. But 
like I can only eat that much white rice. So I'm going to eat white rice. And you're like, mm-hmm. oh, this guy's, you know, stuck in his, you know, his tradition. And, you know, you know, old, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. And it's like, no, it's because they've tried everything and that's what works. Yep. If you know, if, if it's not broke, don't fix it. Right. Yep. And the last thing I have to say is um, with regards to finding something that you're interested in, there's this joke that, you know, if you're a cyclist, there's three flavor palettes. The first one is salty. The second one is salty. And the third one is salty. And so, you know, the, the joke is if, if you, I guess, you know, if you, if you have to explain the joke, it's probably not funny. But the idea is, you know, you should probably lean towards something salty because your palate's probably going to like it if, if you spend enough time training. Yeah, you're out there, you're sweating, you're losing some salt. You could probably use a little bit to replenish it. Yep. So uh, hopefully you are convinced that you probably need to eat more carbs. I would say try it for a week and see if your workouts improve. They probably will because you'll just have more energy to put out. Hopefully also you'll be able to recover better after your rides. Won't You won't feel that, you know, heady, you know, brain fog for as long if you can keep your carbohydrate levels up. And uh, yeah, hopefully you go out and eat more carbs because I think I think everyone can benefit from more carbs in their diet. Who's Who is training for, you know, competitive cycling or, or wants to be, you know, at a high level in the sport. I guess the other thing to throw out there with that is don't be shocked if your weight bumps up a little bit just in the short term as your body adapts because your glycogen storage was probably a little bit low. And when you take in those carbs and store that glycogen, and there's going to be some water with that. And that may change the numbers on the scale a little bit. But if you have more energy and more power, so be it. And it'll probably level out over time anyhow. And I think the other argument with that is, so you're looking at usually like a five pound increase from empty glycogen stores to full based on the weight of the carbs and the weight of the water. But when you go into your road race completely filled up with fuel, you're going to weigh that much anyway. So you might as well weigh that much in training as well. Mm-hmm. So Absolutely. I, I wouldn't worry so much about the weight, you know, because on, on race day, it's going to be the same. Yep. So um, if you, I don't have anything else, Todd. Um I guess we should say if you liked this episode or if you like the episodes that we're making, um, please give a thumbs up, a like, a review. I think um, Apple podcast reviews are the best in terms of uh, getting more people involved and more people listening. But uh, yeah, it it all helps. And also, we really enjoy the feedback. Uh, We've gotten a lot of positive feedback and it's nice to read it. It's nice to be able to learn from it as well in order to produce something that's more interesting or you know, more helpful for you. Yeah, absolutely. Totally, totally agree with that. We do appreciate the feedback either way. And we try to take it to heart and make changes when we do see things that uh, don't, don't align with your preferences or things that we could do better. So you know, if you do have feedback, please do leave it because we do appreciate that and take that as a, as a way to improve our product. Yep. And uh, Todd, I think you can wrap this one up. Well, as always until next time, keep the rubber side down and thanks for listening.